When you've been around the block as much as Dimitri has, you start to notice things. Dimitri is a three-time entrepreneur and the co-founder and CEO of Big ID, a company that provides a complete solution for businesses seeking to connect to and manage all of its data, regardless of the form the data is in or where it resides. Dimitri shares with us what it truly means to know your data, or KYD, his focus on the sales organization, and the importance of commitment and engagement to company culture. Big ID has raised nearly $250 million of funding. Its investors include Advent International, Tiger Global, and Bessemer Venture Partners, among others. We hope you enjoy the show. Dimitri, thanks so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. I want to kick off with investors because I noticed you are fairly kind of prolific on the investing side, but you're also a very successful entrepreneur. And we're going to be digging into Big ID. But maybe first, tell us a little bit about how you think about the role that investors can and should play in companies and kind of how it's working currently for Big ID. Yeah, sure. So look, obviously, investors help make technology companies possible. Obviously, there are bootstrap companies, and every so often you hear about a huge success like MailChimp that recently sold for $12 billion after kind of 20 years as an independent bootstrap company. But by and large, you know, I think the whole purpose of technology investing in particular is to accelerate. Right, is to give you enough funding to be able to bring forward some of your marketing initiatives, some of your product initiatives, and so forth. And you know, as a model, I think it's been wildly successful over the last fifty or so years in BC. And today, you know, obviously, there's a much larger pool of technology investors, both individual angels, more established VC firms, these crossover funds, people that invest in the public sector, etc. So I think they're necessary. I think they've been helpful. Many of them are helpful beyond just the capital that they provide. I think it depends on the group, right? Some are very helpful in terms of recruiting. Some have been very helpful in terms of advice. Some are helpful in terms of introducing you to kind of business opportunities. They all bring something different to the table. Maybe a little bit like children, they all have unique traits and qualities that make them valuable. But yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, entrepreneurs strive to build businesses oftentimes as quickly as they can. And then capital is an accelerant. And so it's helpful in more cases than less. Are there specific areas where investors you're working with currently or in the past where they've been particularly helpful, maybe to your surprise, where you didn't expect them to be as additive? You know, I think some of it reflects on the partner that you have. I don't know whether it's fund specific. My exposure to a lot of the funds that I work with is, you know, the particular person that is on my kind of board or the one that I deal with day to day. And so I think it's individual based and I do think it depends on their background, skills, relationships. I think some of them are very good in terms of introducing you to other investors. They're highly networked. There's one that I jokingly refer to as the Kevin Bacon of VC. Others have backgrounds in engineering and development that have lent their expertise to some of the processes that we're kind of working through. Others are more go-to-market centered and others probably have specializations or at least capabilities more in the governance. So I think they all bring something different to the table. And I don't think it's ever helpful to look at them with kind of a single lens. They each have their own color of the rainbow. So let's talk about Big ID. You know, I'm sure if we were to map out all the data management companies in the universe, we'd have a page cluttered with logos. And what I always try to figure out with companies in a fairly populated space is, what is the one thing 
that truly differentiates one company over the rest. So what would be kind of the key takeaway you would want the audience to leave with about Big ID versus all the other data and data-related companies out there? Yeah, I think for us, probably our anchor capability is really about the identification or discovery of data is to understand what data do you actually have. You know, there's an adage we sometimes say in security is it's hard to protect something you first can't find, right? So without knowing it, it's not as if like, it has a kind of Romulan cloaking device. It's still there. It's just because you haven't been able to identify it or locate it or understand what it is means that it's probably vulnerable because you haven't been able to apply the various kind of security measures. That is also similarly true in compliance, where, you know, from a regulator standpoint, just because you haven't been able to identify certain data as regulated, be it for GLBA or GDPR, doesn't make it not present. It just means you haven't been able to identify it. And that's also true for data governance, where you're more interested in extracting value from data for purposes of BI or AI. There, similarly, I think knowing the data, what we sometimes characterize as KYD or know your data, is where you need to begin. And I think as, you know, what we've seen over the period of COVID as we interact online almost exclusively, you know, I think we're all re-entering the real world a little bit slowly. But for a period of a year and a half, we all kind of interacted over Zoom, over Squadcast and so forth. And, you know, we basically just generated data, right? That's what we were. We were represented by data in various online platforms. And so I think what makes us different as a data management platform is the fact that we created kind of a core foundation, a mesh, if you will, that allows you to connect to almost any kind of data, both structured and unstructured, in motion, and at rest, and cloud, and on-prem, and then find a common way to interrogate it or look at it or kind of understand it. Before Big Idea, I think the way you did data management is you kind of built these vertical stovepipes, right? You basically had a quality company, you had an MDM company, and they you had a data governance company, and each one basically had their own kind of connectivity, their own kind of capability in terms of looking at the data, and their own kind of set of functions to provide some kind of end use for the data. And I think what we're kind of reimagining is this idea that data should be much more of a fabric, much more a common platform that has a common connectivity layer, that has a common interrogation or data intelligence layer. And then lastly, it has a common way to build actions across a control framework, right? Across privacy, security, compliance, and data governance. So it's almost like if you're going to do data visibility and control, you need to kind of organize yourself kind of more horizontally than creating these kind of verticalized solutions that then struggle to interoperate. So that's really kind of our difference is that we start with the data itself as opposed to workflow or some of the other things. And then again, we built out our solution from day one as a platform that is more horizontally integrated where these kind of common layer for data integration and abstraction, data intelligence and kind of discovery. And then lastly, the ability to control the data and take action on it. Now you've been growing quite fast and a testament to that is the quality and caliber of investors that you've been bringing in. And I think you recently raised additional capital Tell us a little bit about how you've been able to grow so quickly, and presumably it's related to the strength of your platform. And you know, what is key, do you think, to scaling an organization well? 
Yeah, look, you know, I think as quickly as you grow, you it's never fast enough, right? There's somebody else out there that's growing faster. So, <laughs> although I did find out that we were 19th on the Inc. 5000 this year, but we were number one in security, which I just learned yesterday. I think there's a lot of things that you need to kind of think through, whether it's technological in terms of product that can scale, in terms of field organization, in terms of marketing organization. Well, we've raised money. We've raised it kind of in increments, so I think over six rounds in three years. And all of them were preempted. We haven't actually gone out to fundraise actively since our seed in 2016. So we've been kind of fortunate that way. But yeah, I think that there's obviously lessons that you need to do. And to some degree, you need to prepare by having kind of a field force and anticipation of where you want to be at the end of the year, which also that means you need to have a kind of an SDR function to support that, which means that you need a pre-sales function to be able to support that. And so to some degree, everything's kind of a working backwards from where you want to be and so forth. And and look, there's hiccups along the way, right? Some folks don't work out. Some strategies don't work out. But I think for the most part, it's the playbook is not that different, especially for an enterprise software company. There's salespeople. You know, a salesperson is almost like the carrier in a battleship group where you know you need to surround them with pre-sales and surround them with supporting SDRs. You need to provide them with some additional air cover for product marketing. And you kind of build that out and hopefully it works. And like I said, sometimes you hit a hiccup on the road. Maybe some individuals don't work. Maybe a strategy that you're trying to build out with a particular partner didn't bear fruit. But I think with any startup, you just need to kind of persevere, keep going. And if one path doesn't work, according to the scientific method, you trial something else. Mm-hmm. Well, what's currently your biggest challenge or you know, what area do you think is the most difficult to scale? So I think one of the things, and you know, I've heard this from other founders as well, is around enablement for sales. You know, I think people always do enablement last because it just seems much more like a cost center. But I think it becomes important, especially with a platform that crosses what historically were separate silos in terms of compliance and security and governance and then kind of data discovery and understanding. So that's one area that we had some investment, but not near enough in terms of equipping the field with the right knowledge. And so that's something that we're doing. I think constantly being vigilant about up-leveling your skills, especially in things as critical as technical pre-sales and, you know, kind of post-sales and making sure that you don't atrophy and you, whether it's retraining or whether it's just making sure that you have constant new folks. We try and leverage the channel, both in terms of generating pipeline as well as providing a stronger fit. So I think that's also an area where, you know, it's important to build out relationships across, you know, in our particular case, GSIs, ISVs, and VARs, kind of the three three letter acronyms. And, you know, I think the other thing for us, having kind of started with a more traditional top down model, is building out a muscle around bottom up, right? Finding some new motions that allow us to penetrate accounts and land much more easily. And so for us, this is an area of current investment where we're trying to build this kind of pay-per-use modeling without impacting the business we've already built. But we're doing that a lot earlier in our history. Like we've been in market for about three years now selling. And so that's a big push for us. And for us, it's not just creating kind of a sassy like experience that still requires a lot of services in the background. It's truly creating kind of a self-service model where people can kind of get onboarded on their own without outside assistance and start creating value in their enterprise, whether it's around data management, whether it's around privacy, whether it's around other aspects of data governance or security. And so that's a major push for us right now and a place we're investing quite a bit. A big portion of our audience is CEOs. And so I'd like to ask a little bit about leadership and you know how you have approached that 
role, the role of leading a fast-growing organization. What do you think has been kind of critical to your ability to lead? And sometimes I like to throw in the concept of mindset. And it's something that, you know, I think a lot of CEOs will try to get into the right mindset. And typically they'll have coaches or other people that they kind of speak to. But tell us a little bit how you think about your role and kind of leading a big organization. Yeah, well, big is in the eye of the beholder, I guess. But it's a funny thing. You know, technology is unusual in that it's littered with people that would not necessarily be historically considered leaders, right? People that weren't necessarily captains of the football team, people that went into more kind of solitary pursuits in academia, people that were dropouts from college, maybe antisocial in some cases. It has kind of a universe of people that, again, there's no kind of typecast, right? That captain of the athletic team. And I do think because of that, you know, what I've seen in terms of the qualities that I want to kind of emulate and certainly project is leadership and technology is really about providing not only authenticity, but authority, right? And some of that is kind of that lead by example, right? So you do get a lot of companies technology that are led by the people that are most authoritative, whether it's around coding or whether it's around, they are the real deal and they earn the respect of their team. In our particular case, I think, it's a willingness to be on the front lines, right? You know, whether it's pursuit of a customer, I still believe I am probably the best presenter in the company. And I like to be involved. I like to travel and see prospects. But I also simultaneously like to be that kind of last part of the support network. If somebody needs that additional care because maybe they're unhappy with this or that, it's not something I shy away from. And I think that level of kind of commitment and engagement across the segments, you know, whether it's around sales or alliances, I think earns a degree of respect, right? People appreciate that. People appreciate it's not just somebody barking out orders from an ivory tower. It's somebody that's willing to get kind of in the trenches and kind of work with the team and work through problems. So that's one element. The other element, I think, you know, this is a people business. At the end of the day, even though we deal with technology and software, Teams are not technology and software. They're people, right? People interacting with people. And I do think that being personable and creating a kind of a social environment is important. You know, I like to believe that I'm kind of witty, or, you know, maybe mostly with dad jokes these days. But I think being approachable and accessible in the company, coming across, as they would say in Yiddish, kind of a mensch, I think is important. And I think people appreciate it. I do think that there's been too many times with too many leaders in technology in particular where you get these kind of prickly personalities that are kind of defined in some regard and kind of antisocial in others. And I do think that one quality that is overlooked is being kind, generous, and thoughtful around your team engenders that kind of behavior from them towards you as well mm-hmm. and towards one another. So speaking of culture, is your company remote, hybrid, or all in person? Well, I just moved to Miami, so it's kind of remote now. So, (laughs) yeah, you know, we started off a little bit unusual in the sense that I was in New York and my co-founder was in Tel Aviv. And believe it or not, we worked together a little bit, but mostly remote prior to that because he had lived in Boston. And so from the get-go, we sort of adjusted to this kind of remote working culture, right? A lot of our early team was in Tel Aviv. I was in New York. And even as we grew, our first sales hire was in California. And so we grew with this kind of remote first culture. I would say in Tel Aviv, we definitely have kind of an in-person culture. The developers like to be in the same room and work together. I think elsewhere, we kind of have offices in various locations like New York City, like Austin, but we use them more to kind of gather the teams 
So people are kind of free to come and go as they please. And what we've seen as things reopen post-COVID, in fact, I was just in New York this week and I was in New York last week and I'm in London with our team next week. And then I'm in Seattle that we fall in with our team there is that, you know, we either organize certain kind of teams like customer success or services or whatever. They go to where they want to go and they could go. I think success is having their next meeting in Miami. Marketing met up this week. They met in New York. So we're fairly flexible and accommodating. I don't think we never really were kind of a, an office first culture. And I think now that we've gone through kind of 15 months, 16 months of COVID, I think. People are readjusted. Some people have moved away like I have and others moved to other parts of Pennsylvania, North Carolina and Phoenix. And we're fine with that. I think there's enough tooling, whether it's Zoom or WebEx or good old phone calls that people can do what they need to do. So long as, again, there's opportunities for them to meet either geographically or based on their team and role. Mm -hmm. And what's the vision for the company higher level? I mean, is it that Big ID will continue to kind of permeate throughout kind of the business world and be that kind of go-to source for data management? Where do you think the company is going to be three, five years out, even further out? Yeah. So look, we think we have an opportunity to kind of redefine the realm of data management in a similar way that Amazon kind of rethought how people delivered cloud infrastructure in a more kind of consumable, modular way. So if you think about kind of historical data management, you'd have portfolio products accumulated through acquisition and kind of organic development where each, each product basically had its own kind of team completely disjointed from any other team. And so you had uh, some of the parts. And I think what we're doing is trying to create, as I mentioned earlier, this kind of horizontally integrated solution where you have kind of a common mesh for connecting to the data sources where you abstract the differences between Kafka and Snowflake and AWS and Salesforce on the one hand. And then you create kind of a common data intelligence layer. So the kind of insights you need for data for security is different from privacy, which is different from data governance. But how do you create a way that provides the lens and insight that each team needs, but in a common kind of data intelligence layer? And then lastly, how do you create a more modular Lego-like experience so that instead of rebuilding all the connectivity, rebuilding all that kind of intelligence or discovery, you basically have something that can kind of snap in either built by us or built by third parties, including potentially competitors, right? Apple and Microsoft collaborate on the iPhone. And so we've tried to create kind of a framework that takes a novel approach to data management. Now, we're still in the early innings, right? I think we started off three years ago selling really a data discovery for privacy solution. We kind of expanded more recently in the last kind of year and a half to data security. We've been fortunate to be able to raise a little bit of money. And so we've taken those funds and built out an investment in building up this platform. And really, we're just kind of getting going. In fact, we'll be kind of rebranding a little bit, still Big ID, but with some new messaging towards the end of the year, we brought on a whole new bunch of people. There'll be some additional hires we'll be announcing shortly to really kind of frame this kind of data management reimagined story. You know, we believe data is probably the most critical asset, be it from a compliance, security, or kind of value standpoint. Data is not going to be in one place. It will be in many places. It'll be in Salesforce. It'll be in Slack. It'll be in Snowflake. It'll be in Redshift. It'll be, you know, probably still in mainframe 30 years from now. And so providing kind of a more holistic way to understand what you have and then be able to take action on it, whether it's whatever kind of control you care about, privacy, security, or governance, I think will be a big problem. I think that's the one we're going to try and tackle. Okay, as I eye the clock, I think we're coming up on time, but I'd like to ask one last question before we go. And that is, can you tell us who you think is a 
great leader. It doesn't have to necessarily be in business. It can be in business, but who do you think is a leader that has, you know, a lot of the characteristics that you think make for a good leader and one to emulate? You know, this is probably maybe too trite and I don't want to kind of play my politics. I'm actually Canadian, not American. So, but I will say, you know, I think one of the qualities that you've seen, especially in politics more recently with the new leaders, that quality of empathy, right? And approachability. And I do think that is overlooked. Clearly, there's an element of money in technology like in any other industry, but it doesn't necessarily have to be cutthroat. And I think in terms of building a company to last, right? An enduring entity. I think having a humanity in these corporations is important. It's important to me. Again, maybe it's because I come from Manitoba and we regard ourselves as friendly. I think it was right on our license plates. But I think that's an important quality as well and one that's often overlooked. Well, Dimitri, want to thank you for taking the time. And I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Bye-bye. 